1: Tracy Hall thinks libraries can change the world.
0: I've learned to believe that having and using a library card is a revolutionary act.
1: Hall is the new executive director of the American Library Association. The Chicago-based ALA is the oldest and largest library association on the planet. And Tracy Hall is the first African-American woman to lead the organization since it was founded in 1876. Later on, Tracy talks about access to information through libraries, why she believes it's a fundamental right, and how it's a key to lifting up underserved communities. But first, she explains why she wanted this job
0: right now. I think one of the things that spoke loudest to me at this particular time, Jen, when it comes to uh, the American Library Association is that I fundamentally believe that access to relevant and dependable information is a human right. And I really see at this point where we are in history that public libraries in particular and libraries of all kinds, school libraries, et cetera, prison libraries, are really the bedrock of democracy. So I saw this role as having an opportunity. If libraries have always been on the front lines, I think, of social justice, It was an opportunity for me to be present and to be there and to make sure that I helped to continue and steer that conversation. You said access to information is a human right.
1: When people think about that word access, oftentimes we think about it in terms of physical spaces and how right. we're able to move in physical spaces. But how do you think about access, specifically when we're talking
0: about libraries? Well, I think that, you know, information is elastic as a concept, right? So I definitely believe in, um, especially now where there is a lot of privatization of the public sphere, I believe that having public access to buildings of all kinds, you know, the public libraries in one place where rich and poor can come together, right? Right. And actually have access to the same the same exact information. But I also think um, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, and what I think is probably most important at this particular time, is that we think about digital space as well. Because I think that information really is independent of a particular container. So when I think of the role of libraries today, I'm not only thinking about that library you know on your corner or that library in your school. I'm thinking about the internet. I'm thinking about handheld phones. I'm thinking about people when they need information being able to get to a reliable source exactly at the point of need. And I think that's libraries' roles today in the 21st century.
1: Well, you've held jobs at libraries on both coasts, including the Queens Public Library in New York City, two libraries in Connecticut, and the Seattle Public Library. What are some of the things you're going to pull from your experiences in those institutions?
0: Yes, and I've also taught at library schools, too, which has been really fundamental, I think, in my development as um, a librarian. I think one of the things that I'm going to pull from, and I'll give you an example of it, in Seattle is I was working at Seattle Public Library in the 90s, right? when we were shifting, um, I think, to where all of our employment and access to employment information was going online. And so, you know, we had a pretty uh, labor-oriented, industrially-oriented uh, workforce in Seattle. It wasn't the Seattle of today, which is, you know, really, um, you know, in a lot of cases with Microsoft there and Adobe and Amazon there, um, you know, a lot of white-collar workers. So we still have all these blue-collar workers and, you know, people who would come to Seattle for fishing jobs and those kinds of things. Um, and what we had to do at Seattle Public Library is to introduce people to um, opportunities to gain information about jobs and to economic mobility completely online without any intermediary in terms of face-to-face. So to really, in a lot of ways, help people kind of keep up with what was happening in terms of social trends, which is today. Now, most of uh, the information, even access to e-government, is online. So we were helping people to catch up and not be left behind. So I think that that is our role. I think particularly our role is to continue to support um, the information needs of all people, but to pay special attention to vulnerable populations, whether those people are homeless, new immigrants, um, families with young children, people who are re-entering communities, people who experience economic instability. I think libraries still have a special role to play in supporting those communities. Well, we can't talk about libraries without talking about librarians. Right.
1: How have you seen that role evolve? over your years working in the sector?
0: First of all, I was always attracted to the idea of librarians as activists, right? So even if we think about the amazing Schomburg Library in New York, Arturo Schomburg, and, um, you know, librarians, that role of um, really keeping track of the written record, that's our job description. And also keeping uh, track of the marketplace of ideas. That is our job description. And also, to a certain degree, being agnostic about it, being relentless about it, not necessarily inserting our opinion, um, not editorializing the body of information, but to make sure that every user has access to an array of arguments, even competing arguments. And I want to go back to Arturo Schaumburg because he did that when it came to black diasporic. He was um, Afro-Latino, Puerto Rican, and he wanted to make sure that there was a repository um, of the intellectual record of people of African descent. And he created this mighty library um, in doing that. And so there was a lot of activism in that and so that's something that has spoken to me. And just recently also we have been privy to a new documentary about the life of Marion Stokes, who herself was um, an African-American librarian, but who really preempted and kind of created the first, if you will, 24-hour news station. She was somebody who believed that and saw that new the news was really beginning to have a very strong opinion. And she wanted to kind of capture that, but also to make sure that facts weren't being lost. Um, and I got a chance to see the film at Cisco here in Chicago, and I would recommend that if anyone can see the film... Um, recorder about the life of Marion Stokes, they'll get a bird's eye view into, I think, the power of a librarian, because it isn't necessarily just a a sequence of tasks we perform. I think there's a way of thinking about information and knowledge that I think some of the best librarians demonstrate throughout their lives.
1: I've spoken with a number of librarians over the years, and, and they talked
0: about how
1: they've also become a point of contact for people who belong to vulnerable populations, who need to be connected with services. It's not just
0: about the information anymore. Talk a little bit about that change. I started my career in libraries coming from directing a homeless shelter for youth. And it was the lack of consistent information and also literacy. Right. So I would sort of think about what would it take to reunify this young person with their family member? And I would meet the family member and the love would be there. Right. But what wouldn't be there was maybe the general literacy um, that you need to sort of say what decode language that would be on a paper that is for you and I maybe we would take for granted but maybe there's two pages uh, and you have to read closely to figure out a court date and some other things that you need to have to make this reunification happen and sometimes we'd be sitting in that courthouse and that parent wouldn't show up and then later you'd catch up to them and you would say wait what happened they couldn't decode the information so I think that basic level of literacy is something that's really important. But something else there that I want to speak about, which is this idea that I learned in working with people, especially people from vulnerable populations, but in general, I've learned to believe that having and using a library card is a revolutionary act. It is something that cannot only open up uh, pathways for the user, but it also invites a user into a larger civic conversation that is really hard maybe to even talk about or explain. Um, But I think that if you are a library user, and I I love people who use libraries all the time, because they talk about how they could not imagine um, not having access to a library and how many books they have and what they've read, the programs that they've attended. Um, I think that the fact that in this country, at your school, at your university, um, you know, public libraries, etc., that anybody, regardless of their walk of life, can have access to the same information, um, that's rare today. And that's something that I think is really important. And when it comes to vulnerable populations, we have to fight for that. I mean, I see my role, day one, as really being one of the chief advocates for library access, um, you know, that there is. So
1: you mentioned that day one on the job. When you look at libraries, when you look at the work you're doing at the Library Association, What is
0: that first big priority that you're going to take on? One is to invite more stakeholders into the fold. I think that there is, I think, an an idea that um, when we talk about libraries, we're talking about the people who just use a physical library all the time. And I think that there are millions of people who do that. But there's also a group of people that we want to invite into that conversation. And I'll give you an example. I was thinking earlier about um, the ways in which Chicago has um, set many of our contemporary standards for libraries, especially when it comes to digital media. So um, Nicole Pinkert and Brother Mike, may he rest in peace, um, really demonstrated how youth could come together to learn 21st century skills as well as social and civic leadership skills um, at uh, Chicago Public Library on State Street. And one of the main partners was the MacArthur Foundation. Um, Had it not been for Nicole Pinkert's genius, her thinking about youth and, and the possibility of youth's creation, of young people's creation of information And had it not been for uh, the MacArthur Foundation recognizing that there was a future in that and Chicago Public Library opening up space to make that happen, I don't think that we would be where we are now when we think about digital creation and the possibility for young people. So... What I'm saying there is that here you had um, an academic, a scholar, you had a private foundation, and of course you had one of our great public library, uh, public libraries in the country coming together. I want to see that kind of trifold partnership. I want people who may not use uh, their local public library, have young people using school libraries, to still see that libraries are really on the front lines of social justice issues. And if they care about mass incarceration, if they care about homelessness, if they care about high school's persistence for youth that the library is probably one of um, the foundational resources for them.
1: Well, you worked as the director of ALA's Office of Diversity in the early yes. 2000s. What does diversity look like in libraries right now in terms mm-hmm. of you know,
0: librarians and other staff? When we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm going to add accessibility because I'm also thinking about um, the millions of people in this country you know who live and um, and lead with uh, disabilities, we are talking about serving the full population of uh, you know serving our full public and I think that with libraries, libraries have been around before most people were literate, so I like to say just thinking about you know. Um, myself as a librarian, but also as a library historian, I think about the fact that today we have more public libraries than we have McDonald's. You know, really, uh, in the 18th and 19th century, um, public libraries existed sort of as a Starbucks, if you will, they were a sign that a community was coalescing, um, and had certain types of values. So I think, When we think about diversity, equity, inclusion um, and accessibility, so I'll say diversity, equity, accessibility and inclusion, we are thinking about how do libraries and librarians mitigate any kind of barrier that would prevent anyone from having the kinds of information that they need um, to illuminate, uh, you know, their lives or just to move them forward. And um, and what are some of those barriers? Some of those barriers are that um, really important materials may not be available in Spanish. When I was a librarian um, early on before I came to the Office for Diversity, I remember um, one of my patrons um, in Hartford, Connecticut, when I worked at Hartford Public Library, she had just been diagnosed with diabetes. And we found out that we have very few books in the system at all that were in Spanish about diabetes. So I had to find them and order them. And so I'm talking about in tw- in uh, 2020 that we don't want that to happen. We want someone who needs access to that material, um, for that information to be there. Um, What we're also talking about is that we want to be thinking about who is actually sitting behind that desk or standing behind that desk or making that decision about what books are to be ordered or what types of library services um, should be available in the community. We want that population to mirror the community because the people are the, the experts, right? Ella Baker says that strong people don't need strong leaders. And what I say is that we need strong librarians, though for these strong people and um, and 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 I do think that we want to make sure that we are creating and building a librarianship that is of the people and by the people. And so I really, you know, there was um, in England at uh, one time, there was a movement called Librarians for the People. When I was in library school, I read as much as I could because I really fancied myself and the kind of librarianship that I wanted to champion of really being by, for, and of the people. And so we need to have a cadre, a core of librarians that really understand the informatic needs of the communities Around them not necessarily because they're learning about those communities but also because they are of those communities. So you're the incoming executive
1: director of the ALA but I have to mention that's not the the only new position you've taken on. Right. Uh, you were just appointed to the City of Chicago's Cultural Advisory Council. Do you see any intersections in in the work you'll do at the ALA and and on the city's cultural
0: advisory council. Absolutely. You know, in the early days the idea of the Athenaeum, three things were together: the library, the gymnasium, and the museum. So I see my role also as an artist and an artivist, too, because, you know, I'm coming from the Joyce Foundation, um, where I most recently have overseen the culture portfolio, the arts and culture portfolio. I see myself actually continuing that work. And I will say that even in my own practice as as a librarian, I began really as an artist. So I was a librarian and an artist. So I programmed all of the art events, all of the film events, all of the literature events. When I was at Hartford Public Library. I was reading this young Haitian author Edwige Danticat, and I was like, "Oh, I got to get her to come to the public library," you know. And and so I got a chance to meet and read and invite so many young writers at that time, and also visual artists. I would curate art exhibitions in the public library, etc. So there's never been, um, you know, any type of distinction between um, letters arts and letters, um, or um, culture and uh, literacy. I see them as connected. So I'm really happy, I think, to be in the position at American Library Association, which is based in Chicago, staying here. It'll allow me to continue, hopefully, to um, be really active in our cultural life in the city, but then also to celebrate artists like No Name, who has just started her own book book club, Club. right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there is so much here, you know, and I think about the Johnson Library over at Rebuild Foundation. So I think in Chicago, there are so many artists and arts organizations that have already embraced the tenets of librarianship, At libraries and literacy. So Chicago is a perfect place to model that. I just want to make sure in my role that I demonstrate to the rest of the world the connection between those two things. So I have to ask you before we let you go, (laughs) what are you reading right now? (laughs) I read too much at once. (laughs) So I just want to say to anyone who is listening – It is okay to be one of those people who reads lots of different books at once Um, and maybe sometimes because we just want to savor the ending. You know, sometimes when I'm about to end a book, I pick up another one because I just want to prolong, you know, uh, that moment of not knowing what's going to happen. I'm always reading, you know, poetry, you know, at any given time. I, I love writers. Um, so I'm reading Neckbone by Avery R. Young. Um, there is an amazing art book by, uh, an artist and poet, Krista Franklin called Under the Knife that I think is one of the most profound pieces of work that I've seen that, you know, art books, I think in uh, the last book. So I'm definitely in the last little while. So I'm reading that. Um, I'm also reading, I love style. I love fashion. When we came in, we both talked We're about like each a other. Like your dress? I like your dress. <laughs> I love fashion. I love style. I love fashion and I love style because, you know, coming from the neighborhood in which I did, you know, and this is something that is really important for us to recognize. Sometimes when you don't have a a control over a lot, you can have control over sometimes what you wear. You know, if you have a lot of ingenuity and you know how to put things together. And so style um, is something that impresses me a lot, a personal sense of style. So I'm reading Dapper Dan, Made in Harlem. I lived in Harlem for a while. I love that city. But Dapper Dan is a legend. I'm also reading broke, um, which is a story of Detroit's bankruptcy and reemergence. I'm really interested in out migration or the reverse migration, especially of African Americans out of the Midwest because I'm a Californian. And so I'm really watching it's happening in California too, where people are returning to the South. I'm interested in those broken promises and also how, in a lot of ways they were facilitated, if not enabled by economic and racial segregation, that's unparalleled in the Midwest. Um, and then, you know, of course, I continue to read Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. I've been reading it again because as I get ready to take the helm of, you know, this large institution, I still want to think about things like self-care and empathy. I still want to let you know, someone like Octavia Butler and her treatise on change guide my thinking, so that um, I'm not holding on to things with a vice grip. I want to allow genius um, to percolate and to exist. Um, I want to allow serendipity, and I also want to allow pleasure, and I want to model those things in my leadership um, because I have 260 staffers, you know, all over the country to support, and so that has become, in a lot of ways, like a, a little Bible to me. So. I'll, I'll stop with, with just those. For now, we'll leave it there. That's Tracy
1: Hall, the incoming executive director for the American Library Association. Tracy, congratulations again. And thanks so much for speaking with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: And that's today's Reset. Keep in touch with us on Twitter. We're at WBEZ Reset. And I'm at J White Pub Radio. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon.